want to take just a moment today on Memorial Day weekend and recognize any that are here today that are serving in the military. Maybe you have family that's serving in the military. Or maybe you've had family members that have died in the service of their country. Would you just please stand to your feet just a moment? We'd like to say thank you. Come on, serving in the military, have been in, been in before, family members. Come on, give them a big hand as they stand today. The freedom we enjoy today as Americans is because of the commitment of people like these. God bless you today, and you may be seated. We'll turn your Bibles this morning to the book of Genesis, Genesis 25, and uh, we're going to have a great day today. Been doing a series, you remember what it's called? Dumb and Dumber. Anyway, it's been a series to help us find God's blessing. We've actually been on it for quite a while. We started out in a positive manner, finding people in the Bible that we'd want to imitate to see how they found God's blessing and we could do the same. And now we're on the flip side, people that did some really dumb things in the Bible. And let me know we don't want to follow them. The only thing uh, dumber than following or the only thing more uh, significant than imitating somebody that's dumb is if we do it ourselves. So last week we talked about a man named Uzziah. He was a king, if you recall, in the Old Testament. He was a king that really saw God move in some profound ways in his life. He he turned the nation towards God, but he reached a peak of success in his life. And then suddenly and almost unconsciously, he began to believe that he could be successful without God. Now, how many know that's pride and that's dumb? But this morning, we're going to talk about another guy. We're going to talk about two brothers, actually, Jacob and Esau, Genesis 25. Jacob, of course, one of what's called the patriarchs in the Bible. You've got Abraham, you've got Isaac. Isaac had Jacob and Esau. And, of course, the lineage of of, of the nation of Israel, these 12 tribes, flowed from this man, Jacob. As we pick up the story today, Jacob's a younger man, and he's kind of a trickster. He's a deceiver, and he's trying to get ahead by manipulating people, and he's manipulating his brother. Now, Esau, though, is, will be the one that will be the focus of the message today. One day, verse 29, one day Jacob was boiling a pot of vegetable soup. This is the New Century Version. Esau came in from hunting in the fields. And so Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red soup or lentil soup because I'm weak with hunger. And think of this amazing thing his brother said, trying to hustle to get ahead. His, his brother said, you must sell me your rights as the firstborn son. Now, the firstborn son had special rights in the nation of Israel. That firstborn son would always receive the honor, to, honor and the dignity from the father. He would basically be running the family as, uh, when dad passed away. But he'd also get twice the inheritance. So if you can imagine, wealth would be his, honor would be his. And uh, that's, what, <laughs> that's what literally Jacob said, I want all that and I'm going to give you a bowl of soup. Well, the more astounding thing is Esau's response. Verse 32, Esau said, I'm almost dead from hunger. Now, does this kind of remind you of your kids when uh, it's about 1230? Mom, if we don't eat soon, I'm going to die. I'm going to starve into death. Now, mind you, they ate a big breakfast and they had a snack about 10 or 1030. But they're starving to death at 1230. Well, Esau could have been a little further than that, but uh, he was, he, he was uh, uh, not nearly in some comatose state ready to die. He said, if I die, all my father's wealth will not help me. And tragically, verse 33, Esau made a promise to Jacob, and he sold his part of his father's wealth to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau bread and vegetable soup. Now, that's a pretty profound thing. But I want to ask this question. Why did this happen? Why would somebody, and if you can imagine dad's wealth, 
Isaac was a very wealthy person. He had, if you can imagine, who knows how many thousands of cattle and sheep and goats. Uh, he had how much silver, how much gold, the stores of food, uh, 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 tents to dwell. And this man had, had riches, he had wealth, and he basically said, I will trade all that, what I'm going to get from daddy, for a can of soup. Now we see this is Campbell's soup, and what is it? Yeah, mm-mm, good. Well, I want to suggest to you, it was not that good. Now, this is my favorite tomato bisque soup, but I'm telling you, can you imagine somebody trading what amounts to a bowl of soup, a bowl of Campbell's soup, pop it open, put it in the microwave, eat it, and it's over, and then all the wealth that you could have had and all the honor was yours. Now, here's the big question today that I want to answer. Why did this happen? Why would somebody trade away all that potential? I'll tell you why. It's because the part inside them that wanted to do wrong was stronger than the part that wanted to do right. Let me say it again. This was not just an intellectual decision. It was something on the level of passion and desire. It's what the Bible calls our flesh. In the New Testament, we understand it as a battle between the flesh and the spirit. It's a war that goes on inside of us between that part of us that wants to do right and do good and the part that wants to do wrong. It's why the person continues to go back to pornography. It's because of the flesh. It's why we hit the snooze alarm, not just once, twice, but up to a half a dozen times or as long as the iPhone will go. I don't know how many times you can hit the iPhone snooze. Anybody know? You think three? Okay. Well, I don't know how many times. But it's why we stay in bed and could even lose our job. It's why the duck hunter shoots over the limit. I don't say that from experience, I just say that from desire, of course. It's something about our flesh, our passions, our desires, our lusts, this fleshly part of us, our old nature that struggles against what the Bible calls our new nature, or the person that's born again in Christ. And we want to talk about this this morning because I've got some great news for you. The Bible says the solution to this dilemma we all face, and it's a dilemma that even the great apostle Paul faced. Paul the Apostle said that the things I want to do, <laughs> I sometimes don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. He said, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of flesh? And then he begins to say, thank God, it's Jesus Christ, my Lord. So the good news this morning is this is not just a message of shoulds, not just a message of discipline, but this is a message of the power of the Holy Spirit to give us ability to overcome that old nature or the flesh that's within us. So I've entitled the morning's message, Mm-mm Good, with a big question mark behind it. Because how many know everything we desire is not always good, but God will always help us find the best way. Uh, turn your Bibles, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. And I want to begin with this statement. Human beings are three in one. We are three in one. Listen to the scripture. It says, Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. This word sanctify, it means to, to be made holy, to separate you. So that may God separate you from the wrong things of life. May God separate you from the things of this weaker nature and, and, and set you apart to Him. The Amplified New Testament says, May God separate you from profane things. May God make you pure and wholly consecrated to God. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body... Be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll leave that on the screen just a second. And I want you to say that with me. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless 
at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You are three in one. Let me try to explain it as best I can. We are a spirit, we live in a body, and we have a soul. Problem, certainly we all understand that when somebody dies, if you go to a, a graveside or if there's an open casket to view, you know that that's, something's missing. All there is is a lifeless body. Well, that life is the spirit, it's the soul. I would say the spirit and the soul are kind of married this way, and it's clear how there's a separation from the body. But we are a spirit being. And the Bible teaches us that, that the way we've gained a, a fallen nature or our spirit is, is dead, if we can use a biblical term, is because of what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. When they chose to sin against God and go their own way, they were separated from God. It's like a, a blanket was thrown over them that isolated them and separated them from God. Spirit's kind of hard to get your mind around, but the Bible says your human spirit is eternal. It doesn't have an eternity past. You began at conception, but you have an eternity forwards, which means after your death, you will live forever, either eternally with God in a real place called heaven or in a real place called hell. Now, the part, though, where this message focuses on is our soul. Our soul is our mind, our, our will, our emotions, our conscience. It's kind of what makes us work. And that's the part of us that's been affected most by the fall. That's the part of us where this old nature is. And the Bible will also teach us that our salvation affects these different parts of, a, 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 of who we are differently. When you are born again, what that means is your spirit is made alive. Your spirit that had no God consciousness, your spirit that was away from God, becomes alive when Christ, we use the phrase, comes into your life. You are born again. You are saved. There's a God consciousness in your life. I can tell you this, on August 15, 1976... I gave my life to Christ. You say, how do you know? How can you remember that? I was there. My life changed. I wrote it down. That I was going this way, and all of a sudden, something happened on the inside that was greater than just desire, greater than just a, a, a fear or confusion, but something changed on the inside of me. God came, and my spirit was saved. My body, however, is not saved. And if you don't believe your body's not saved, look in the mirror. Look at some old pictures of the way you used to be, and you think, who's that old guy I'm staring at me in the mirror? I mean, I feel like I'm 25 years of age, but I don't look 25. Don't say amen. <laughs> Our body will die, but one day that body will come to life again. It is the resurrection where we will have a, a new body that will never deteriorate again. Well, that's something that's coming down the road one day when the dead in Christ will rise or when the rapture comes and Christ comes for His church, our bodies will live again. But it is our soul that is being saved. Now, stay with me. I'm not talking about going to heaven saved. I'm talking about being sanctified, being, being separated from the world and, and drawn near to God. You see, our soul, whereas we yield ourselves to God and God becomes more real to us, it's like the things of yesterday become less and less real. I mean, because I know what you're talking about. But this is what we're talking about, our fallen nature, our flesh. Now, flesh, by definition, if you look in the Scripture, the Greek word for flesh is the word sarx. We translate it S-A-R-X, but it's a number of meanings in the Scripture. Flesh can be food that you eat. Flesh can be like animal flesh that you eat. Flesh in the Bible, it sometimes refers to the human body. Flesh also refers to collectively we as humanity. But the particular definition we're looking at in this context this morning is, is flesh that is the old, unredeemed, sinful nature. It is the way our mind thinks. It is the way our attitudes before we come to Christ. 
How many can say, before I came to Christ, I was a lot different person than I am today? I'm not perfect today. I'm not the way that I want to be tomorrow, but I'm not nearly like I was. See, I'm on a progressive journey with God that involves some level of discipline, but also some level of spiritual power to help me overcome the things that used to shackle me and hold me in bondage. How many can say, I have different desires now as a Christian that I used to have? And as I've walked with God longer periods of time, even the desires of my old Christian life have changed. This is this progressive salvation of our soul that we're, we're talking about today. Now, Galatians chapter 5, I want to read through about eight or nine verses, and I want to walk slowly because there is a war between our flesh and our spirit. They're pretty quiet to me this morning. There's two of us that are aware of this war. There's a battle that goes on on the inside. It's a battle that is in some ways far greater than what Esau faced, but I want to take a peek at it this morning. Galatians 5 verse 16 Paul the Apostle writes these words, I, I say, and here's an imperative, walk by the Spirit and you will not. So the Bible tells us in this one statement is, is that there is a way that if I will yield myself to the Holy Spirit and follow Him, working with Him, that the desires of my flesh will no longer control me. And if I could say this right now, this is a message that can help you find freedom in some things that you have been unable to control on your own. This is not a message to tell you what you should do, what you better do. This is a message to say the Holy Spirit wants to help you in areas where you're weak. And as you yield your life to Him, the things that have controlled you before may not control you tomorrow because there is spiritual power available to you. Now listen, the New Living Translation says this, So I say... Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, which means this is possible. This is where volitionally we choose to work with God, to allow God, the Holy Spirit, to guide us. And then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. How many can say, that's what I want? Yeah, look at verse 17. It says, the sinful nature wants to do, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. The sinful nature wants to do evil. The spirit is different. And notice this next phrase. The spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. Now, as I said, I was saved when I was 19. And I want to tell you, I was a pretty worldly guy. Anybody else? The rest of you saints, we're just so honored to be in your presence today that, 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 that you have never been like the rest of us that were doing wild, crazy things. Come on, living the party life, the go-to person for drugs, the person that was very promiscuous. Come on, am I going the right direction? The person that had the bong, that had the pipe, that had the joint, that had the rolling papers and knew how to evade the police. The person that was smart enough, that had, knew how to grow marijuana, not just in the garden where it could be seen by others, but could grow under fluorescent lights in the bottom of the basement. I'm talking to people like this today. I'm talking to people that used to manipulate people by your anger. I'm talking to people who used to give somebody a date rape drug. I'm talking about the side of us that we pretend is not there, come on, but is there. Well, I want to tell you, I had some desires that I'm ashamed of today. I did the youth service last Wednesday night, and I gave the kids, we had kind of a real talk. And I said, ask me any kind of question you want to. And boy, I got some dillies, some whoppers. One of the questions was, what did you used to do when you were a kid? And I said, pass. <laughs> but I told them, I'll tell you this, when I was 17, 18, and 19, 
the things that I'm ashamed of today and the worst memories I have to deal with happened in those three years of my life when I had the freedom to do things that I wanted to do, come on, that I wish I'd never have done. But I know what it was like to be saved. When I got saved, I'm telling you, there's some things that I used to just roll with, and as soon as I got saved, I didn't want to do them anymore. Any business what it is. But there's two things I can think of right now that I just quit, stop doing. But then there was one thing that I really, really liked to do that hung on for a while. It hung on for about three years because I really, really like to do this, you see. I even found Bible verses that in strange ways would, would justify this. And I chose friends that, would, that wanted to do the same thing. I mean, when you want to do something, you find a way to normalize it and make it okay. And I, I kind of find friends that would go along. But all of a sudden, I can remember I was in Adak, Alaska, and this little sin was crawling back in my life. It kind of appeared to me in some fashion, none of your business, it came in the mail. But I'm telling you, when I engaged this sin, I felt like I had just slapped Jesus in the face. Because it had been a long time since I'd done it. And I slept like I'd slapped him in the face. And at that moment, I said, you know what? I threw it away and I said, I'm never doing this again. Because I love God more than I love that. Why did that happen? Because I was yielding my life to the control of the Holy Spirit. And he was giving me new desires. Now, 30 years after that, I still have some things that I struggle with today. Salvation of our soul is progressive. But I'm telling you, as you yield control of your life to the Holy Spirit, God can change things that you've been unable to change on your own. And it is not a matter of the have-tos and shoulds. It is a matter of desire, come on, that you want more of God. Give God a big hand this morning. Now, the Spirit gives us desires opposite of the sinful nature. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. Now look at verse 19. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are clear. Now, it's a list that's coming here. And this list describes our old nature, and it's going to contrast it with the nature under the Spirit. And notice the first one, sexual immorality. First of all, let me say, there's no such thing as immorality in America any longer. It's anything goes with anybody, anytime, whenever you want to. We've just witnessed our nation. We've witnessed this week when the Boy Scouts welcomed gay scouts to come in there uh, to be a, be a part of the scout pack. Great turmoil it'll create in America. It's a redefinition of what's morally right and wrong. Now, let me say this right now. Any person is welcome in this church. I don't care if you're gay, if you're straight. Come on, if you're divorced, if you're single, if you're... We are welcome here, but this is a church that will love you as you are, but tell you the truth, come on, and try to point you in the right direction towards God. We'll have the courage to tell you what the Bible calls sin and wrong that will separate you from God's kingdom because I love you enough to tell you the truth. But our world has forgotten this. The Bible says this is a work of the flesh. Impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling. Whenever there's fighting going on, particularly with believers, jealousy, Desiring something someone else has. Outbursts of anger. When you or you know someone who tries to control their family with their temper and their threats of violence and their loud talking, this, my friend, is a work of the flesh. This comes from the old nature in our lives. Outbursts of anger, selfish ambition. 
When we try, and that's exactly what Jacob did to Esau when he, he, he stole his birthright. It was selfish ambition, uh, dissension and division. Anytime someone tries to divide people at work, divide people at church, divide families, this is coming from the flesh. God is a God of unity. Envy. The next one, drunkenness, wild parties. I know you don't know anything about that. I certainly don't. I just told a lie in the pulpit. And other sins like these. Now, let me tell you why this is important. Let me tell you again, as I've said before, anyone living that sort of life, Now, you have to decide what kind of life you live. I don't know about you, but I'm not just living for today. Come on, I'm living for eternity. And, and notice the contrast. And now, this is the coolest way it puts it. Look at verse 22. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Now, this is so profound because the Holy Spirit is responsible for the change. You see, what is fruit? Fruit is what comes naturally from the trunk of the tree, come on, from its genetic code when there's food and when there's soil. And what this means is change in your life is not totally your responsibility. The Holy Spirit is the change agent that is working you. And this is so powerful because if you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life, He will produce in you love. When you were a hateful person, a violent person, a selfish person, a manipulative person, a racist, someone that hated, someone that did God-only things you're ashamed of now, you could go to jail for now, the Holy Spirit will change your heart. He will give you love for people. Maybe you were brought up in an environment where you were taught to hate people whose skin color was different than you. It's pretty ashamed if I look at our nation when our politicians, it's almost like they pit people groups against one another. And we're taught to hate one another for no rational reason. Can I tell you, my friends, when Jesus Christ comes in your life, you will love people that you used to hate. I'm telling you, you will see past the color of their skin. You will see past things that divide us. And God changes us and we, we become different. He will produce in us not only love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those who belong to Jesus Christ. Now listen to verse 24. This is a profound statement of spiritual truth. Whether we feel it or not, or whether it's active in our life or not. Notice what it says. It says, those who belong to Jesus Christ, say this with me, have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to His cross and crucified them there. Now what does that mean? Not just the judgment of my sin, so I'm forgiven, but the passion and desire, the whole root of the thing that Adam bequeathed to me, there is a spiritual potential that that thing has been nailed to the cross. It is the potential for you and I to walk in the freedom of the Spirit and not be controlled by the lust of the flesh. I'm telling you, that is powerful. And in the most addictive situation in your life where you are out of control, it is a scripture where you can read because of Jesus Christ, He has given me the potential to be free from this. Come on. And I look to the cross, not just my ability to be disciplined. I'm preaching way better than your amening this morning. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Now, let me give you something for the next 15 minutes, very practical how to walk this out. Christianity is not just ethereal, it's not just concepts, it's not just faraway ideas, but you can allow this process to be at work in your life. And I want to give you four very practical things. And the first one is basically this, and I'll explain it. Know the difference between an enemy and a friend. 
Now, I'm talking about those behaviors that we love and enjoy and embrace and laugh at and high-five about. Are they an enemy? Are they a friend? There's a picture I want to put on the screen. It's not a newspaper this week. It's a very tragic picture. It represents pain for not only the person that's there, but it represents pain for all the people that followed in his trail. Former youth coach gets 10 years for sexual abuse. He's a coach. Looks to me like he's in his 60s. He was found out, if I can use the phrase, some of the new coaches were on the ball field playing and they recognized him because he had abused them when they were kids. And now that he's older, they want to stop him from abusing other people. Our little bitty paper that same day, in, uh, two or three pages later, had an article about a pastor south of us who was appealing on the internet towards what he thought was a 14-year-old girl for sex. And he assumed that it was a girl, but it was an undercover police officer. What's the root of this thing? I'm telling you, it's the flesh. Now, listen to the scripture, and then we'll put that picture back up. Galatians 6, 8. It says, whoever sows to please their flesh will of the flesh reap what? Destruction. If you sow to please your flesh, you will reap destruction. But then it says, if you sow to please the Spirit, you'll reap eternal life. Now think of the phrase, sowing to please the flesh, because here's something that you know and here's something that I know. This man at some feeling level felt that this sexual experience was a friend. It was pleasurable, therefore it must be good, but it was a friend that brought destruction in his life. And is that exactly how the devil works? And that exactly what he did to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when he said, if you just take a bite of this fruit, forget it's forbidden, you just take a bite of this fruit and it will make you wise. You'll be like God. You know the difference. Listen, some, God's holding something good back. And, and, and Satan appears as an angel of life to offer us counterfeits. Counterfeits for what God has the best. And before we know it, it controls us. And it controls us not only just in the thought processes, but they say neurologically these things that give us pleasure form what amounts to like ruts in our mind. And it pulls us back to it. And it adds to the control. But hear me today. I don't care what diabolical thing is at work in your life. The Bible is true. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit can give you power to overcome these addictive behaviors in your life. Now you look at this picture that's on the screen. It seems, and it is horrible, but isn't laziness the same thing? Same thing in the sense that laziness may not put you on the front page of the newspaper, but laziness, come on, will put you in, uh, on the welfare rolls. Laziness was a work of the flesh, and it will cause you to live a life less than what God would have you live in your life. What is that that makes you hit the snooze and hit the snooze and hit the snooze and then even ignore it, be late for school, late for work, and lose your job? I'm telling you, it is a work of the flesh. And we blame different things for this. I don't care if it's laziness. I don't care if it's some sort of sexual activity. How about uncontrolled anger? How about learning to get your way, learning to control, learning to manipulate by being a strong, controlling person, by raising your voice and people around you cowering? Can I tell you that is a work of the flesh that needs to be recognized as an enemy and brought under the power of the Holy Spirit because God can change you, friend everybody's got something that's kind of a, a hook that works in this area of our life. I'm telling you, it's real. But until we recognize the source of it and call it an enemy, we'll never get free. You don't get delivered from your friends, only your enemies. I read this morning, uh, Billy Joel, the piano player, here's what he said, and he's had several car accidents. 
He said, 9-11 caused me to be depressed. And then I began to drink to medicate the pain. And then I had car accidents. Which is a way of saying, I'm not responsible for this. The drink, the depression, 9-11. Maybe a better starting place is, in my flesh is a wicked thing that I need you to help me with, Lord, because I cannot deliver myself. I cannot quit this on my own. But today I choose to call my friend an enemy before I end up on the front page of the newspaper. Come on, give the Lord a good hand this morning. Here's another one. It's very practical. These, by the way, if you bring your iPad, it's already, it, the notes are already out there. You can pick it up this week. The second one is rest. Because when I'm tired and stressed, it's easier for my flesh to call for gratification. Now, Scripture, Mark 6, after the 12 disciples had done ministry, uh, they're out there, they're facing darkness. John the Baptist has been beheaded. Mind you now, they're thinking this could happen to us. And then the disciples come back to Jesus, and here's what Jesus said. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and... Can I suggest to you that God created us to need regular rest? I'm a, excuse me, I'm a believer in the Sabbath. The Sabbath principle of rest. That you and I were created not to go, 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 go. But you and I were created to work six days and take a day of rest. That you and I were created in such a fashion that we need to replenish and rejuvenate. Because our ability to say no is often dependent on our ability to have strength. And when we're stressed and overwhelmed, come on. Anybody tend to eat a little extra when you're stressed? Now look. Didn't I bother you to lie in church? Hey, look. I can fully understand, you know, drinking a little bit. I like the way wine tastes. I like the disconnect from reality. In fact, I like it too much. That's why I don't. Because I want to be, I don't want you to call from the hospital in the middle of the night and my wife to say, the preacher's had three glasses of wine, can't come. Or I don't want to have a couple and get in the car and go out and run over somebody. See, our flesh has the potential to control our lives. It's got the potential, and when we're stressed, it's just easier to go to something. You will find that it's easier. I don't care what it is, pornography, whatever the case is, it's easier to go these pathways when we're tired. Let me give you a third one, and it's a, it's a good one. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Set boundaries in advance. That is, lock the door before temptation knocks. How I many know if you're going to get an alarm system or camera system, it's always better to get it before the break-in rather than after? Let me give you another great scripture. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Which means, God will never let you get in a situation that is, that, that it is de destined to control you. But the Bible says that God will, with the temptation, provide a way of escape. So you may be able to endure it. So what that says to us, listen, friends, is your way of escape could well be locking the door before the criminal knocks on the door. What do I mean by that? If you struggle with pornography, you need an Internet filter. 
if you have a struggle, listen, if you, let's say there's a part of town and uh, that's the club you used to like to go to. I mean, you still go to. And you're grappling with it and it's not a good place to be. Isn't it amazing that when you drive close to that place, it's a magnet pulling you. Maybe it's the, the, the part of town or the street where the person that you used to live with, sleep with, have an affair with, lives. Why would you want to drive down that street? Because I'm telling you, once you get on the street, it's hard to say no. Once that, that, once that internet is doing this to you, and you've clicked it multiple times, it's harder to say no then, better if you don't even see it. I would rather set boundaries in my life when I'm strong to help me when I'm weak. I've seen pornography twice in my life. Once when I was 12. Because I found some books. It's before the age of internet. I found some books from a significant person in my life, and it affected me. I can remember when I was on a, on a missions trip in Mexico. We were building a church, and we stayed in some hotel in wherever we were, way in the boonies. And I turned the TV on just to kind of see what was on. And all of a sudden, this is graphic pornography was there. Turned it off in two seconds. But if I allow my mind to go there, that image is right there today. What would happen to you if you watch that every day? I've read statistics where as high as 40, 45% of professing Christians struggle with pornography. It is a door that needs some definition, that needs some boundaries. Because this is not just a super spiritual thing. We can close some doors in advance before we end up in the newspaper. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. Let me give you one more, and then we'll, we'll pray, and uh, then we'll head out and have some fun. I sure hope you'll stay for the, whether you like cars or not, great barbecue. And uh, just as soon as you go out the doors, there'll be a little ticket booth. Got to get a ticket, hot dogs and pork and, and chicken and all the trimmings. But uh, we do this so we can connect with people. But let me give you one last one. See, these things will help you. That if you know, that, if you know the difference between an enemy and a friend, rest when you're tired or stressed. Set boundaries in advance. But here's the last one. Very, very practical. Starve your flesh and feed your spirit. Can you say that with me? Starve your flesh and feed your spirit. Uh, Romans 8 verse 5, it's a profound truth. It says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. So, so whichever way we're going, and then it goes on to say, the mind that's governed by the flesh is what? Death. You don't believe me? Ask the guy in the picture. But the mind governed by the Spirit is what? Life and peace. So this is why when we talk about our mind, what we feed ourselves with. Now, this is why movies are so important. The movies you go to or you walk out on. This is why the TV channels you subscribe to. Now, I don't know about you, but I like movies. But I'm telling you, there's some of them I just, I just don't watch. I can tell you in the first 90 seconds if I'm going to watch the movie or not. But I paid for the HBO channel. Okay, maybe you need to call them tomorrow and say, I don't want the filth anymore. Do you know Hollywood makes more monies off PG movies than they do off R movies, but, why, but they produce more R movies. Years ago, I read that, that one of the producers of MTV would not let his own children watch MTV 
but he wants your children to watch it. Does that not suggest that there's some diabolical spiritual thing going on in the world that's around us in Hollywood? What are you feeding yourself with? What kind of movies? What kind of videos? What are you watching on YouTube? I mean, what's out there? What kind of music do you listen to? Anybody like country western music? You do? Now look, I'm not knocking it. I don't listen to a lot of music anyway, but I'll tell you this. If all day long, if you listen to, well, my dog got killed on the railroad track. On my way to see my girlfriend, my wife's at home. What's next? If you listen to that all day, what do you think it's going to do to you? If you watch, listen, if you, if you listen to rap songs, I'm going to kill him next time I see him. Yo, mama. And I can't rap. I can't sing. I used to have a tambourine and play in church, by the way. And many years ago, my sister-in-law is here today, and she and my mother-in-law told me I couldn't sing. I I've forgiven them many times, but I used to have a tambourine as the pastor of this church, and one day it disappeared. And when we remodeled the church, and they took the old ceiling tiles out, it fell out from the ceiling. So I don't sing. But I'm telling you, Whatever you feed yourself with affects your mind. And if you feed to the flesh, you will reap destruction. But if you feed your spirit, you'll reap life. Now, that's the negative side of this thing. Listen, if you're going to be a follower of Christ, the Bible calls you a disciple. A disciple is a disciplined follower. You have to learn to tell yourself no. If you can say no to the third jelly donut... Hey, let me just throw this out. It has nothing to do with the message, but everything to do with something. One of the ladies working in the kitchen said, Pastor, I don't understand. We have this sign that says, please take only one donut. And, 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 and people take two or three or four, and I try to tell them no, and I'm, she's crying now because I got my feelings hurt because they took three donuts, and I told them no. Why would you take three donuts when somebody asks you to only take one? It's your flesh. <laughs> it's getting hot in here. We need some air conditioning. What? What? Why? Now I know this wasn't taught in school, but normally when there's traffic barriers that say "Don't sit here," the implication is sit closer to the front or somewhere else. Why doesn't that matter to people? It's our flesh. That we want to do what we want to do. I know you'll never come back again. I love you so much. And it has been an honor to be your pastor for a period of time. Learn to say no. Please don't leave yet. Please. <laughs> Learn to say no. You know the Bible? There's a curse word in the Bible. It's seven letters. It's called fasting. Why would you tell yourself no for anything? This is a real danger when you get successful. Listen to this. And you get some money in your pocket. You can do whatever you want to. 
But I'm telling you, somewhere in this whole thing, we need to tell ourselves no. Because if I can say no to the jelly donut, I'll probably say, I'll be more apt to say no when the little girl or guy is calling me on the Internet. Oh, I preach myself in a corner. But the positive side. Remember, you feed your mind destruction. If you feed your spirit, what does that mean? That's why Christian music is so important. Worship is so important. That's why Bible reading is so important. Because you're feeding your mind. If you want to know why you are the way you are, look at what you're feeding yourself. And if all you feed yourself with is trashy media, come on, for hours all day long, and you have five minutes in the Bible or 30, 40 minutes in a church service one day, no wonder. Tell your neighbor it's over. It is time for barbecue. We've been barbecued in this room today. We're going to go out and eat some flesh of chicken and pork. Please play. That gets us to know it's almost over. Let me wrap it up. Here's a great statement of hope. The more I allow the Holy Spirit to be in control, the less power my flesh will have. The more I allow the Holy Spirit to be in control, the less power my flesh will have. Galatians 5.16 says this, So I say to you, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Let the Holy Spirit be in control, and then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Is this just not profound? Leave that up a little bit. Let the Holy Spirit be in control. And then you won't let the, your flesh control your life. I just believe there's a real potential for a real God moment in your life today. Because you and I are exactly the same. We have an old nature and a new nature. And those natures are fighting against one another. I want to suggest to you that your life is like a house. And I want to suggest to you that as a Christian, you open the front door. The Bible says, as many, Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. To many open the door, I'll come in and dine with him. To be a Christian is to let Christ in the front door. And I want to suggest that your life is like a house with rooms. I want you to imagine for a moment that Jesus has just walked into your house. And just like if a friend comes over and they said, oh, I like it, show me your house. And they're walking around the different rooms. They look in the living room and say, man, I like that fireplace. And look at those vaulted ceilings. And, and then you walk in the kitchen and, and you say, well, I like that bar. Where would you get it? What kind, of, what kind of granite is that? And man, this is nice. And, and all of a sudden, there's another door that's there. And they say, what's in there? Nothing. You can't go in. Now, it could be your mother-in-law, and that's how you threw all your stuff in there. But it could be your soul. And there's some things that you don't want Jesus touching because they're friends there's some things in there that the Holy Spirit has put his finger on today and let me tell you the problem with this door it doesn't have a handle on the outside you have a secret code to get in but Jesus knocks on that door and he can't get in until you open it from the, in, from the inside so if you're in a closet today where your flesh is in control I want to give you some hope today if you will yield to the Holy Spirit and let him sanctify your soul. You can walk out of that closet one day and it'll be wide open. Come on, for Jesus and everybody else to see in the world. Why don't you just bow your heads a minute. Pastor Nick is going to sing. And I just wonder if you'll just, in a way, a place of prayer, invite the Holy Spirit to come in those areas where the door is locked. If my heart is overwhelmed 
And I cannot hear your voice I'll hold on to what is true Though I cannot see If the storms of life they come And the road ahead gets steep I will lift these hands in faith And I will believe And I remind myself of all that you've done and the life i have because of your son come on let's stand and worship love came down and rescued me love came down and saved me pray this scripture over your life and and we'll sing it one last time give an opportunity for prayer and hopefully you'll come out to the barbecue with us get your ticket out front but first Thessalonians 5:23 it says now may the god of peace himself sanctify you completely this is paul saying let god help you do what you cannot do on your own he will separate you from profane things and God will make you pure and wholly consecrated to, consecrated to himself. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that for myself today. When you return to this earth and when I meet you for the first time, I don't want to be ashamed. I want to be ready. I want to be watching. Lord, I want to be loving you with all my heart and all my mind all my soul and all my strength and I know it's the desire of all my friends so today Lord I pray that as best we know how today we're opening every door of our life and inviting you to come in today Lord we want to call what's behind that door an enemy and not a friend help us Lord to observe the Sabbath to rest Lord we ask you to help us to feed our flesh and starve our spirit that you would help us Lord and let your Holy Spirit come and take complete control. And that's my prayer in Jesus' name. If my heart is overwhelmed And I cannot hear your voice I'll hold on to what is true Though I cannot